Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Let's turn to our Bibles, Exodus chapter 3. Today we're going to be going through the book of Exodus, the beginning of the book of Exodus. I'm sure most of you are used to seeing me up here. Usually I have a guitar in my hand and I'm singing some songs. So uh, this is a little bit different. I actually did consider singing the entire message. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I thought that might be a little bit weird. Uh, and it probably wouldn't work. Uh, so I'm going to go a traditional route and just say everything. And then actually when I mentioned it to Pastor Dean, he said, maybe I'll do that the following week. And I thought, oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> so he's got a great voice, but, you know, I mean, maybe just throw that one out the window for now. <laughs> so like I said, we're going to go through, the, we're going to start going through the book of Exodus. The uh, past couple months, we've been continuing this series called New Lessons from Old Stories. And we reached the end of Genesis, and we're going to focus on chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus today. But before we go there, I want to kind of give a, a review and a little bit of a backdrop for uh, where we're going to be going today. From one book to the next, we see actually a lot of changes taking place uh, with the family, of God, family that uh, God has called. So first off, in the beginning of Exodus 1, we see God's people, the relatives of Jacob, were a total of about of 70 people. They were mainly made up of families, of course, and before they were not really settled in a place, but they were allowed to stay in Egypt because of Joseph, who was second in command to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh welcomed them to live in Egypt and actually gave them the best part of the land at the time. But that was all before. And now as we get into Exodus, we begin to see that things have really changed. God is still blessing Jacob and, and his descendants. He's blessing him so much that the family had turned in not from 70 people into a nation of millions. The Bible actually describes them as being exceedingly numerous, or too many to count. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. And now this nation is referred to as the Israelites, or Hebrews. But even though they were blessed by God, the Israelites were not as welcome anymore. Four centuries had passed, and now a new Pharaoh had taken throne. He did not know about Joseph and his loyalty to the nation of Egypt, and he saw this massive people group as a threat to his people and a force that needed to be controlled. So he made the Israelites slaves, forcing them to build for Pharaoh and for Egypt. And to keep them from multiplying, he ordered that every baby boy that was born to an Israelite was to be killed. So things had definitely changed. Things were difficult at this time. But there was hope. There was hope. At the end of Exodus 2, we read, During that long period, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard the groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So God's people were on God's mind. That's Exodus 2, 23 and 25. And also in Exodus 2, we see this introduction of an of a Israelite family who has a baby boy. They're afraid for his life. They don't want him to die. So they make a waterproof basket. They put their baby in the basket. And they put him in the Nile River. They let it float and hope that God can do something great. The baby is saved by an Egyptian princess and is given the name Moses. So I'm sure some of you have heard of Moses before. There's no doubt... You may have heard about him, 
whether through a story as a child or maybe in that movie called The Ten Commandments with uh, that actor, is it Charlton Heston? Is that the guy's name? Um, so you probably have some facts of Moses in your mind, but I want to take some time here also to review Moses' life before we start to join him in, in Exodus chapter 3. So what do we know about Moses? Well, first off, like I said, Moses was placed in a basket as a baby to avoid being killed by the Egyptians. Moses was born an Israelite, but he was raised an Egyptian by a, an Egyptian princess. And Moses' name means to draw out, which is exactly what happened with his life. As a baby, he was drawn out of the water to be saved. What we forget about Moses, I think, are some other things here. I want to kind of throw these out as well. We might know these, we might forget about them. Moses showed a desire for justice. We see that a couple times in Exodus chapter 2. But he also had a bad anger problem. He actually ended up killing an Egyptian person because of his anger. And because he killed that person, he was in trouble. He didn't want to get killed himself. He ran away to a land called Midian, and he settled there. And in Midian, he found a wife, had a child, and worked as a shepherd for his father-in-law. So that's what we know about Moses in his life. And at this point, when we're going to join him in, in, in chapter 3, he's about 40 years old, and he's working as a shepherd in this foreign land that he's, that he's stayed in. And really, when I, when I was reading through the story, I kept thinking, this must have been such an interesting existence for him. I mean, consider, he, you know, maybe he's sitting on a rock in this wilderness, in this desert. He doesn't really know this place that well. I mean, he's been there for a bit now, but still, he has no connection with this land. He has absolutely no connection with it. But he's there. He's settled. He's got a, a new life going. He's watching these sheep that aren't his. The sun's beating down on him. His sandals and his clothes are probably dirty, maybe old, not the best quality. And the food that he's eating doesn't compare at all to what he had in Egypt. I mean, he was a prince. He knew, he knew the best of everything, best education, the best food, and he was probably never worried about being thirsty. So he had to be thinking about those things as he's watching these sheep, thinking, what's, what's happened with my life? What, what am I doing here? And then he just watches the, watches the sheep, and life goes on, and he probably also considered what happened to his family, the people he knew, the people he was raised with, people in the palace, his friends, what about all of them? And my people, the ones I really am from, the Israelites, are they still slaves? What's going on with them? Let's read Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here we see God has revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. The amazing sight captures Moses' attention, so he heads over to investigate. He finds he's in the presence of God. God tells him to take off his sandals, and then he tells him what he, he, that he has a job for him to do. So I've got to think for a moment, you know, this has got to be kind of weird, you know. You're seeing a bush on fire, it doesn't burn up. Go take a look, it's God talking to you. Okay, I, I, I would ask some questions. I really would. I'd be like, wait a minute, maybe I've been out in the sun too long, or I don't know, you know. <laughs> maybe I'm thirsty, I really don't know what's going on. But he, he, he obviously does believe that this is God because he hides his face and he realizes he's in the presence of the one true God. Let's go on, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses asked a basic question. We all would probably feel this, kind, you know, this, this question in this kind of situation. He feels overwhelmed by this idea of going to Egypt, facing Pharaoh. He hasn't been there in a long time. But God gives him two answers. I think this is really important. For us to catch. One, he gives him the answer he needs. I will be with you. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to be there with you the whole time. And then the second part, part, which is important, he tells Moses, you will know that it was me and you will know that this is going to happen because I'm telling you the next time that you see this mountain, you're going to be with a million other people. So he's trying to let him know, you know, this is, this is a plan. There's, there's a whole thing that's happening here and it's, going to, it's taken care of. I need you to go. Let's continue on. Verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers hasn't sent me to you. And they ask, they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of, the Israel, of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So Moses asks a second question. And you know, the first one is pretty legitimate. I mean... Who, who, who am I to go and do this kind of work? I mean, that I would stand in front of this, this leader of people and tell him what to do with his slaves. Second question is it's a good question. He says, you know, what am I going to say? What is your name? And God tells him again two answers. One, he says, tell them that I am. 
a name that the Israelites would recognize right away. I am who I am. And two, he tells them, the elders of Israel will listen to you. He tells them, you will go to Pharaoh with the elders. He will say, he will not let, let the Israelites go. And then after I do these miraculous things, then he will let them go. So in a way, I think that God is trying to tell him, I understand your questions, here are the answers, but the plans are set. This is going to happen. And this is a common theme in Moses' questions. There are, a few, there are a couple more as we go on. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I think God must have laughed at that a little bit. (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said God, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his skin was leprous, and it had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So here's another statement by Moses. And this is what God says. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) And so we actually get to what Moses has probably been hiding and feeling the whole time. Although he starts with a legitimate question and he's asking, like, who am I to do this? And, you know, he asks another question about what name am I supposed to say? It seems like the other ones really are just kind of a smokescreen to what he's feeling. And so he's trying to tell God, hey, you know... uh, Maybe this isn't going to work out. He's, he's trying to ask these questions and, and see if maybe he could get out of this, but that's not, that's not what God wants. He tries, tries to convince him that his speaking abilities are not very good and that you know, he's just probably not ready for this. He's probably weak at, at doing what God wants him to do. And so when he sees that this isn't going to work, it's, he's not convincing God, he just blurts out, okay, can you please get somebody else to do it? I really don't want to do this. In the original language, his statement would sound more like, please God, anybody else but me. Anybody but me. So Moses doesn't want to do this. Then in verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff 
in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So, makes, so Moses makes his true thoughts known, but God doesn't let him out of the calling. We learn later that Moses was probably afraid to go back because he, he, he could have been killed when he went back to Egypt. I mean, his life was wanted when he, when he left, so he, he definitely was probably afraid of being killed. But God doesn't want to let him out of this. He makes a small concession saying, okay, fine, your brother Aaron, you know, I know that he can speak, he can go with you and, and uh, you know, help you out, but really, you're, you're the one. I want you. You're the one that I've called to do this work. So we'll get to the end of this account in a minute, but before we go there, I, I kind of want to take some time to consider maybe some observations or some thoughts that we can gather from this conversation between Moses and God. We already know that Moses is probably, you know, not wanting to do this. He's very reluctant. He doesn't, he's not excited at this prospect at all. Um, so he spends too much, I really think that one thing that we can get from this is that he spends way too much focusing on himself and the part that he plays in this whole thing. Like I mentioned, God is constantly telling him, the elders will believe you. Pharaoh will not listen, but then he will after I do the miracles. These things will happen. And Moses is constantly looking at this from his perspective and, and kind of taking it in that way, from his, his circumstances. You know, I'm not sure if I can do this. This is a big job. Are you, got, you sure you got the right guy? You know, all these different things. He's think, he keeps thinking it from that perspective, though. But God is trying to tell him this stuff has already put, been put into play. And uh, you know, in Genesis, there is actually a portion that talks about the Israelites getting out of Egypt. So he's, you know, maybe Moses didn't know that. Maybe he did. I don't know. But there's, there's a, a plan that's already been set. And so God's trying to tell him that. It's, you know, when I, when I think of it, it's almost like, a, it's, almost, it's kind of similar to when I send uh, one of my kids to go pay for something at the store. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes you know, we'll be at a store and I'll tell um, one of my kids, Micah or Jaden, I'll say, hey, you know, what candy do you want? They'll pick a candy and then I'll give them a dollar. That's right, only a dollar. I don't pay more than that. <laughs> I give them, I'll give them a dollar and I'll say, here, now take this dollar and take the candy you picked, go up to the counter and see that person up there? Give the dollar and the candy to that person. They'll take the dollar and they'll give you the candy and then you can eat it. So usually when I've done this, it never works out. <laughs> because what happens is they look at me like, why are you doing this to me? And then they usually come up with some kind of excuse. Micah, the logical one, will say, Dad, I'm too short. They won't be able to see me. And I'll say, oh, all right, that's a good point. <laughs> I'll pick you up and, you know, they'll be able to see you then. And then uh, maybe another reason they'll say, well, uh, you know, my, I have a stain on my shirt. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> it just, they won't like that. Okay, um, you can still do it. I'm not old enough. No, it's okay. You can do it. You have the dollar. You have what they need, and they will take it, and then it'll be taken care of. You don't have to worry about anything else. And then eventually they, they realize that I'm not going to be convinced, and they say that they can't do it, and they simply say no. I don't want to do it, you do it, and then they run the opposite way. <laughs> so it's pretty much the same thing, because God is telling Moses, I want you to go and do this. Now Moses might be thinking, 
how am I going to convince, convince Pharaoh? How am I going to convince the elders? How am I going to do these things? But God is saying, no, you're going you're gonna to go. I'm going to do the work. The work has already been done. I'm telling you it's going to happen. You're my representative. I just need you to go and share these words. I need you to say this. And then the things are going to happen. But Moses is spending way too much time thinking about himself and how, how this is impossible or he's just not capable of doing these things. The other observation that I get is, and this is an important one for all of us, I think, and it's kind of a, a tie-in with the, the first one. God is not going to be limited by our weaknesses. He won't ever be limited by our weaknesses. I think we forget that sometimes. You can see that Moses doubts his abilities, but again, this is not about him or his strengths. It's about God using him to get God's work done. The Bible is filled with people who God used to uh, use even though they appeared unable. There was Gideon, who was not a warrior and not courageous at all, but God used him to lead a victorious battle. And there are little kids who were crowned kings, and God used them to revolutionize a whole nation. And there are many others. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God's not ever going to be limited by our inabilities. I'm sure some of us could probably think of a few things we're not good at. Consider we'll probably never do anything like that. But God is not ever limited by those things, and he, may, he might call you sometime to do something that you're not good at. And we should be ready and trust that he can do the work through us. It's not uncommon for God to use people who think they're incapable. And it's because of their inability they show us how to rely on God more and trust Him with our lives. It's in our weakness that God is able to shine and be and able to bring glory to Himself so that other people would see Him, believe Him, and, and, and choose to follow Him. That's kind of the point. I think God is always calling us to do something different or new. And that leads to our third observation. The third one is God does not remove God's calling. God does not remove Moses' calling. Sorry. God does not remove Moses' calling. Now, I have to be completely honest. This is one that I find so interesting. I cannot, I cannot, really, I really cannot understand this at all. God has this huge plan that, it, that has already been set into motion. People are going to believe. Pharaoh's ready to say no. Aaron, his brother, is going to meet him in the desert. God's already set that up. We'll see that again a little bit later. But God, you know, he, even though he's trying to convince Moses and let him know these things, Moses is just like, no, I don't want to do this. Please, somebody else. I have no interest in doing this at all. And I just think, why didn't God just say, okay, I get it. You don't want to do it. You don't, you don't think you can, you can uh, speak and, and um, you're not good at that and you've got a bunch of sheep that you've got to keep an eye on. Okay, I get it. I'll go find somebody else. Why doesn't he do that? Because I certainly would do that. I just think like, why wouldn't you do that? But God had Moses in mind, and he did not want to let him go. So he says, okay, fine, you can go with your brother Aaron, but you are doing this. Take the staff. You're going to do the miracles that I showed you. There, maybe that's the obvious things, like Moses knows what it's like to be a Hebrew. He knows what it's like to be an Egyptian. He knows what it's like to leave a land that you know and that you're safe in and then have to figure out how to exist outside of that. Maybe that's, maybe that's why, but, you know, the Bible says that God has perfect plans. God has 
thoughts that are way above ours. And so whatever the case, he picked Moses. And that was it. He wanted Moses. So let's go to verse 19. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and son and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt and he took the staff of God in his hand. Let's go to verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the things he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So we see everything God said did happen. And pastors John and David will tell us more about Exodus in the coming weeks. But as we think about it, Moses' story really is not much different than ours. God calls him to do a work. He feels uncomfortable. He feels overwhelmed. He tries to avoid the responsibility, and he's reluctant for a variety of reasons that center around him and his life. I'm sure many of us, if we're honest, can say that we probably have felt that way. Maybe there's a change in our lives we need to pursue when God has called us to. Maybe there's a friendship we must let go of, a responsibility we're trying to avoid, or a commitment we need to make. Maybe there's an opinion we need to share or a situation we need to address. Or maybe God is simply calling us into relationship with him. And we haven't answered that call. Whatever it may be, God is calling us to do something. Sometimes we don't feel excited about the prospect. But the fact is that there are people out there who are waiting. People we may or may not know who are in captivity in some way. And they need to be free. But they don't know how to do that. This is something Moses maybe didn't really consider or think about. Maybe in another perspective, we ourselves are in danger of running off, limiting our abilities, settling in a place we really don't like, we're not sure about, but we're accepting a mediocre life because there appears to be nothing else. So we become comfortable and choose not to take any risks. And maybe God wants to change that. I think he does. He wants to change us and help have our values be centered around him and his kingdom and the work that he has for us as individuals and as a church. So I think when God comes along, we can remember this conversation between Moses and God. And probably what we should remember the most is that God is patient. He'll listen to our concerns and our questions. But he has something in place. When he makes a call in our lives, it's for a purpose. There already is a plan, and he is going to provide the way, just like he did for Moses. Let's stand. We're going to take a moment to sing this closing song.